Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Started a series uh, last week called The Waymaker, uh, declaring that our God is a waymaker. Um, and we're going to review that in just a little bit before we get into our first text. Uh, we talked about how he made a way for the Israelites to cross the Red Sea when they were being pursued by the Egyptian army. There was nowhere to go. They couldn't build a boat. They couldn't build a plane. They couldn't build any kind of an aircraft. God parted the Red Sea as Moses was used by holding forth his rod. Who would have thought that would be the solution to the problem? Secondly, we talked about how they crossed the Jordan River. The Jordan River, because of its elevation, is one of the fastest moving rivers, especially during the um, rainy season, the flood season. And it's so fast it would just sweep you away if you took one step into it. But when they stepped into it with the Ark of the Covenant, which is representing the, the presence of God, it parted and the waters were congealed. Can you imagine seeing something like that, the sight of that? And they walked on dry ground. So the waymaker made a way for them to cross the Red Sea. Then we talked about the widow woman whose creditors came because her husband died and he was in debt. And they wanted to take her two children, her two boys, and make them slaves until the debt was paid off. And we talked about how all he told, the prophet told her to do was go get what you had in the house, which was some oil, and filled up all the vessels of oil in the whole community. And he said, go sell the oil and then pay off your debt. You can live off the rest of it. So not only did he pay their debt, the waymaker made a way for her to have a 401k. And she was cared for for the rest of her life. Can you imagine that? So God made a way when seemingly there was no way. Then last week I talked about a few of my testimonies when I talked about when I was at school and I had to pay my rent because I sold everything and I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, away from home and had basically $2 left to my name. I needed $200 and the Lord told me what to do to receive it. And I prayed, believed God received it and he sent it on the wing of an angel and it came that way. But then also I talked about after that how... Uh, he also made a way for me to pay off the hospital debt when my son was born and there was a debt that I had there at the hospital. And this is something that he prepared for me way back before I ever went to go to Tulsa when he insisted that I buy a theater organ. And the theater organ that I bought, I had no need for. I was downsizing, not upsizing. I wanted to get rid of everything that I had so I could travel across country. But he said to buy it and I bought it. And because I had to spend everything that I had when I was living down there, when it finally came time for me to leave, and I said, I have this debt, he said, sell the organ. Isn't that something? He knew I would need that money to pay off the debt. And so I sold the organ in one day and paid off the hospital bill. Isn't that incredible? I would have never known that because I thought it was illogical. Actually, I thought it was stupid for me to get rid of a guitar and buy a big theater organ because I'm, tr I'm downsizing. <laughs> Made no sense, right? Right. Well, as we continue in our study, look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, because this verse of Scripture, I quoted it probably thousands of times before I left Youngstown to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. But my God shall supply all your need according unto his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, I took that verse of Scripture. I said it over and over and over and over and over a multitude of times. How many of you know that the way maker will make a way 
in all areas of our lives, right? And so, once again, here I am. I find myself in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And make note of this. If you're not taking notes, write it down. Put it upon the table of your heart. It's important for us to be successful. We need to understand these four things. We have to be at the right place, at the right time, with the right heart, doing the right thing. The right place, at the right time, with the right heart, doing the right thing. Because, you see, once again, I'm now finding myself in a situation where instead of staying another year and going to my second year at school, at Bible school, the Lord said, go back home to Youngstown. I wasn't happy. Travel all the way back home with everything that I have without the organ that's sold to Youngstown. I said, once again, Lord, you've got to make a way. Because I don't have the financial resources to do that. I just paid off the debt at the hospital. What am I going to do? You've got to send some help. You've got to make a way for me. Isn't it something when you know the way maker can make a way? And so I said that. Now, this has never happened to me before this. It never happened to me after this. I get a phone call from somebody from Youngstown like a few days later. He said, I don't know why, but I'm calling you just to let you know that the Lord, I think, instructed me to travel down to Tulsa, Oklahoma, rent a U-Haul so I can help you move back to Youngstown. I said, oh, okay. I don't doubt it. Why is this important? Because you have to be at the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right heart. So timing was important. And so he came down, got a U-Haul, and we drove 1,000 miles back to Youngstown, and I moved in with my in-laws in Austintown, Ohio. Only until I could find employment. So I'm there, we're there with my in-laws in Youngstown, Ohio. Actually, it's Austintown, the suburb of Youngstown. And I, I need to get a job. So I got a job not preaching in a church, but painting inside a church. Painting the walls with this company. Just to make some money to take care of my family. Uh, so I'm doing my job, you know, and all that. And the pastor of the Christian Assembly Church in Youngstown, Ohio, which is the south side of Youngstown, was called Southside Christian Assembly. He got wind that I was coming back home from Bible school, and he asked me if I would work with his youth. And I said, well, sure, I'd be glad to. No pay involved or anything like that. I was just going to go there on a Sunday morning and just speak to his youth. So I go there, and truly, he meant it. Youth, one. There was one youth in the class. But guess what? I am bottled up with nine months of four hours a day being taught the Word of God by all these different ministers that were absolutely you know, just keen in, in all that they knew and understood and all that. And so I am full of the word and I just can't wait to unload it on somebody. That poor kid. <laughs> I mean, I gave it to him both barrels and I'm teaching him faith and how it operates and how it works and all that. He's just looking at me. Guess what? Two weeks later, I get called into the office. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm getting fired. I'm not even paid, but I'm going to get fired because I unloaded on this kid and everything. And he says, uh, the pastor, Pastor Dan Rowland, never forget it. He says to me, he said, hey, uh, I'm nervous, you know. We have a sister church in Midland. I didn't even know where Midland, Pennsylvania was. In Midland, Pennsylvania. They've been without a pastor for a couple of years. And they were just wondering if you would like to go down there and maybe preach a message for them. Oh, seems easy enough. This was May. 
June was when I was to come down here, and I said, oh, yeah, I'd be glad to do that, absolutely. Then the second question was, would you also consider to be the pastor, consider candidating to be the pastor of the church? And I said, whoa, stop right there. Nope, I just got out of Bible school. I refuse to do that. No possible way I'll do that. God would have to speak to me in an audible voice for me like he did to Moses at the burning bush for me to do something like that. He looked at me and laughed his head off. I looked at him and laughed too. And I walked out of the office thinking that, whew, dodged that bullet. So I'm driving down Route 11. I don't know that from Youngstown... To get to Midland, I could have come a lot closer, a lot shorter distance. I just saw on the map, just go down you know, 11 to East Liverpool, come to East Liverpool, across the river. I could have cut that in half. I didn't know that. So I come all the way down Route 11. And I'm minding my own business riding down Route 11. When all of a sudden I hear a voice so audible, so loud, that says, you will be the next pastor of that church. Watch what you ask for. Or watch what you say. I just looked around the car and just, where did that come from? What? Anybody else hear that? Oh, God will make a way. Well, there is no way. And so I proceeded to come to East Liverpool. Proceeded to go along the river. Finally came up to where the church is. Preached my message. It was in June. And after the service was over, the chairman of the board came over to me, Tony Corrado at that time, and just said, would you like the candidate to be our pastor? What was rolling through my head was, uh, no, but yes. No, but yes. Me, no. I said, God would have to speak to me in an audible voice, and he did. I didn't tell him any of this. I just said, sheepishly, okay. That was June of 1979. And I've been here ever since. Moved here August the 25th of 1979. Now, think about that. Being at the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing with the right heart. Had I not come back from Tulsa during that time, I wouldn't have been at the right place at the right time. And probably someone else would have taken over the church, which is fine, because God always has plan B or whatever. We know that. But um, that's my point. So God's supplying all of our need, yes, financially as well, to get me back to where he wanted me to be, to be in the place he wanted me to be, so I can follow through with that. But then, when I became pastor of the church, I never asked what the salary was or anything like that. I wasn't concerned about the salary. I just wanted to do what God wanted me to do with my life. And so there I am, and I'm pastoring the church, getting my feet wet and all that. And I said to the Lord, you're going to have to you know, teach me and I'll share with them whatever you want me to share. You teach me, show me, love them, and I'll love them and I can do that. Well, all of a sudden, I get in the mail a letter from the IRS. And I'm thinking, well, what can this be about, the IRS? Anybody know who the IRS is? This time of year, I'm sure you do. So um, I look at the letter and it says, you owe us $2,000. And I'm like, what? $2,000? For what? And as I read through the whole thing, and I showed it to a lawyer too, and he read the same thing too. He said, did you buy a house way back when, a brand new house? I said, yeah. I bought a brand new house before I left you know, and all that. 
back then. How about this one, folks? It was 34.9. Brand new. Never lived in. Just built. Brand new. 34.9. Would you love that? Okay. So um, they gave you, the government gave you an incentive back then when I bought that house because they wanted, you know, you to buy new construction. So the incentive was, we'll send you, we'll give you this $2,000 rebate. So I got $2,000, and of course, my life went from there. I didn't know at that time that I would get saved. I'd sell the house to pay my tithes. I would move from there to another house on Euclid Boulevard. I would move from there to a, an apartment before I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, came back to Austin Town. From Austin Town, I came back to Midland. And they still found me. <laughs> I was in shock. But when I read the thing, I saw that the lawyer tells me, he said, that incentive they gave you, that $2,000 that they gave you? I said, yeah. You didn't read the fine print. You had to be in the house for two years to keep it. You owe it. <laughs> I said, okay, here we go again. The way maker. I said, Lord, you've got to make a way for this, you know, for me to pay this back. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, that'll be the easiest bill you ever paid. And you know what? It was. God moved supernaturally in a powerful way. It was the easiest thing I ever had to pay back to anyone. Now, let me put this all together. I'm using my life as an example because some people try to step out and just do things their way. I wasn't following someone else's plan. I was following God's plan for my life. And because you're in that environment, which I'm following God, do you know this? He's obligated to do something. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. If he tells you to go to Tulsa, he'll provide for you in Tulsa. If he doesn't tell you to go to Tulsa... Watch out what you're doing. If you're where you're not supposed to be, if you're at the wrong place, watch out. You know, your faith's not going to be that effective because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so that bill was paid, and I thank God that bill was paid. But it was me stepping out and doing what God had me to do, completely surrendering myself to God. And it puts me in a position, basically, where I can look to God and say, Hey, you sent me here to Tulsa. You've got to pay this bill. You've got to help me out. I'm following his plan. Now, Let's go on to the next thing. He's a way maker when it comes to healing and health as well. He really is. We believe that Jesus died for our sickness as well as our sins. Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? Okay, but I want you to look in 2 Kings in chapter 5. And this is a story about a man by the name of Naaman. And I want us to see from this particular story, this event that took place in this man's life, who was a commander of the Syrian army. This man had leprosy. And let's read, I'm going to give you this part of it here, not all of it. You have to read from 1 through 19. We won't take the time to do all that. But Naaman was a leper. He was a commander. He was somebody who was a big shot. He was very uh, valiant, uh, a leader in all that, and a, and a warrior. Uh, and, but he had leprosy. And so it was found out that if he would go down to the prophet Elisha, that he, he could recover from his leprosy. Let's read it. So Naaman went with his horses, his chariots, and waited at the door of Elisha. That's the prophet of Israel the prophet Elisha's house. But the, Elisha the, sent a messenger out to him with his message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry. Why would you be angry when he told you how to get healed of leprosy back in that day? But he became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers in Damascus, Abana, 
Abana and Farpar better than all the rivers, any of the rivers of Israel. Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage, but his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. And so Naaman changed his mind, turned himself around, went into the river Jordan and washed seven times and he was healed. Why was he angry? Why was he angry? He was angry because it wasn't happening the way he thought it should. See, it was not his way. Also, he was angry because you'll notice that his way involved him doing nothing. Nothing. I was just going to come to his house and he is going to come out because I'm a, a man of great importance. He'll come out because he's a man of great importance. He will meet me at the door and then he's going to call upon the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the leper and all he has to do is stand there and wait for this wonderful thing to take place and then his leprosy would be cleansed. That's what he thought. So you see, number one, he was insulted that he wasn't treated better. He wanted CNN to be there, Fox News to be there. He wanted uh, MSNBC to be there. I mean, all of them. He wanted this fanfare to be there because here I am. Okay, but he sent out a servant instead. So he was insulted by that. But secondly, I got to do something. I got to go dip in this muddy water. I have to do something. See, his way was just stand there and just let the prophet do it and you get healed. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But we don't learn that from this lesson. What we learn from the lesson is this. God expects us to do our part. God can do his part, but he expects us to do our part. And when he heard his part was to go dip in that muddy river Jordan, he turns and walks away. He could have walked away and never got healed of his leprosy. If he wanted to, God would never stop them, but he would never gotten healed. But when we choose to do it God's way and say, what were your instructions that were given? Do this. What happened? It resulted in the man being healed. We have a part to play in it. Look at Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear to my sayings, let them not depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Notice those instructions. Attend to my words. How do I attend to your word? Incline your ear to what I'm saying. Don't let them depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. They'll become life to you and health to all your flesh. Notice those three things. We attend to God's word by listening to what he's saying. That's your ears. Keeping it before your eyes means in the forefront of your mind, thinking about what I'm saying. And finally, keep it enshrined in your heart means believe what I'm saying. It's like any parent talking to a child by saying this. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Think about what I'm telling you. You better believe what I'm telling you, right? It'll become life to you and health to all your flesh. So God wants us to do our part. Think about what he's saying. Hear it. Think about it and believe it. It'll become life. It will become health. Now, um, I wasn't going to do this, but since he's here this morning, Andrew, you know, I know you've heard me say this. There are some that haven't heard me say this. If I didn't learn these principles, he would not be sitting on that front pew here today. You've read his book. You've read the story. You've read what we did. When medical science says it 
is impossible for him to live. When you have two head cardiologists at Children's Hospital bringing news to you in the waiting room, when you're sitting, she's sitting, I'm standing there, and they say, we could bring him here and let him die in your arms, or we could take him in there and let him die in there. Take your pick. That was the hope they gave us. We held our hands together and asked God to intervene, to make a way, when seemingly through medical science, there was no way for him to live. And I said to the doctors, you just do what you have to do in surgery, and we'll believe God to do the rest. Listen to what I'm saying, incline your ear, keep it for your mind, put it in your heart. And so immediately we began to thank God for giving him a left pulmonary artery. And every single day, we thanked him. Because you see, faith calls things that are not as though they were. Faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. And even though we didn't see one happen instantly, every single day we spoke to his left pulmonary artery that they said he didn't have one. And you can pick up the book and read the rest of the story. It won't take time to get into it all. But thank God, because we acted on what the word of God said to do in the most critical time of his life. Praise God. He grows a left pulmonary artery to normal size in nine months. In the process of time, he, been, he tells us that he's been to heaven, saw Jesus when they lost him twice in surgery. I'm sorry, in the catheterization. They lost him two times. And he said he went to heaven, saw Jesus. Jesus talked to him and said he would have to come back here and tell people about him. And he's been doing it ever since. And by the way, he is my red heifer update man. He's my go-to man with the red heifer update. Yesterday, he comes with his phone and he shows me, did you see the, the latest? Listen, did you see the latest? What's the latest? Those red heifers that they said were not kosher because they had a few strands of white hair? Dad, now they're kosher. They've turned red because I've been telling him about this. I said, look, when God's timing is ready, those hairs will be red. They're never going to be red until God's ready. Okay, they'll be red up until one point. But then if, if, if it's not time for the rebuilding of the third temple and the imminent return of our Lord, they're not going to be red because they need to use the, the ashes of a red heifer to cleanse the temple mount, the ground where the temple is going to be built and the priests and all that. Everything is in place. Everything is in place right now. They've got the priests being trained and taught. They're going through mock wor worship and, and sacrificial, sacrificing animals. The menorah, the $2 million menorah has already been built. The, the, the foundation stones are already... The temple could be built with anywhere from two months to one year. It could be built. What they need is a red heifer. It hasn't been one in 2,000 years. Guess what? The update? There are three kosher red heifers right now. Three. You heard me say last week, we don't set dates, but Feast of Trumpets is coming up. Be ready. Be ready. Whether it's this one, the next one, or the next one, be ready. But now that you've got the red heifer, and it's, which would mean if it's kosher, the ashes can be used, it means the beginning of the possibility of building the third temple in our lifetime and that is huge because Jesus could be coming in those clouds very soon. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Then you don't have to be concerned about the IRS. <laughs> okay, let's move on to salvation. There's so much more to say about healing, but I'm, I really want to get to salvation. 
Because for 24 years I was in church, but I wasn't saved. I wasn't born again. I didn't know you had to be born again. I was never taught you had to be born again. But Jesus said you must be born again, right? I read that in John 3, 3 through 7. And I found out I had to be born again. Um, there was a song. I'm sure you know the song. <clears throat> I did it my way. It's called My Way. Frank Sinatra sang the song. Anybody know about that song? Did you know it used to be the number one song at, played at funerals? It was. Up until recently, it's been... Uh, overtaken by a song called You'll Never Walk Alone. <clears throat> but anyhow, Paul Anka wrote that song for Frank Sinatra. It was at a time when Frank Sinatra got a hold of Paul Anka and said to him, let's have lunch. And Paul Anka said that if he says let's have lunch, you drop everything you're doing and you have lunch with Frank Sinatra. He said, so I sat down with him and we had lunch. And he had just come back from a trip where he was on vacation, I think in France. And he heard this song in France. It was a little bit of a similar song. And he said, um, I sat down with him and he said, to, he said to me, Paul Anka said this, he said, I'm getting out of the business. You promised to write me a, a, a song and you haven't done it. What are you going to do about it? I'm ready to leave the business. Oh, okay. So he had the lunch. He went home. He said, I was... From 1 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock in the morning, I was thinking about that song I heard over in France where he then got the, for $1, he got the rights to it, and he had to make some modifications and then write the words that Frank Sinatra would use. And he said, so he started to pin this song, and it goes like this, and now the end is near. He's about to quit the entertainment business. And... He goes on to say, I face the final curtain. My friend, I say it clear. I state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. But more and more, much more than this, I did it my way. That song topped the charts ever since it was written at the top 40 chart in hell. To this day. Did you know that? I did it my way. And here's my point. But first, let me say this. Did you know this? Frank Sinatra hated the song. He, he made it. He made a lot of money doing it. And afterwards, he said, the song is too self-indulgent and self-serving. I don't like it. I'm glad to hear that. Because it really is, isn't it? I did it my way. The number one song in heaven, by the way, is I Did It God's Way, just to let you know that. But anyhow, look at John's Gospel, chapter 14, the first six verses, and these are the verses that we use a lot of times at funerals, but um, let's see what Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that, and as I go to prepare a place for you, uh, I will come again to receive you that where I'm at, you may be also. And whither I go, you know. And notice these words, the way. And the way. And the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not the way. And how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am. What is he? The way maker has made a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. I am the only way back to God. 
There have always been two systems of religion in the world. One system is God's system, and that's a divine, a divine accomplishment. The other system is man's system, and that's a system of human achievement. We could say it this way. Grace works. Faith, the law. God's way is the way of faith through grace. By grace through faith are you saved. Man's religious way would be works through the law. The law gave works that they had to perform. And the whole idea was this. God knew that man could never save himself by keeping the law. That was an impossibility. So he can't save himself through works. Someone had to come to the earth and do what we couldn't do for ourselves, and his name is Jesus, so that by grace we could be saved through faith, by believing in what he did, not what we can do. So we can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. All right. So in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, we find this to be true, and there's no time to get through the whole chapter, but I just encourage you to read it. The time had come... In chapter 5, after I believe chapter 4 reveals to us the rapture of the church when it's, he says, come up hither. So the church is raptured out of here. In chapter 5, we're all up there in heaven. And then all of a sudden, what takes place is this. John sees the father sitting on the throne with a book in his hand written on the backside and sealed with seven seals. And he says, here's a strong angel saying, who's worthy to take the book and lose the seals thereof. And there was no man in heaven or on earth or under the earth that was able to take the book and loose the seals thereof. And so John began to weep. And he said, I wept much because no one was found worthy. But one of the elders said to me, Weep not, behold, the, child, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has prevailed to take the book and loose the seals thereof. And I beheld, and in the midst of the throne stood the lamb, as he had been slain, having seven eyes and seven horns, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth in the all of the earth. He came and took the book out of the hand, right hand of him that sat upon the throne before the beast and the elders. When he had taken the book, the beast and the elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them golden files full of voters, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying... What's that verse nine, number nine say? Thou art worthy to take the book and loose the seals of it, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. Notice that. You are worthy of every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature underneath the earth. No one was found worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof. But he said, these are your qualifications. You could take the book and loose the seals thereof because you were slain. You shed your blood upon Calvary's cross. You died for every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. And you see people say, well, you're narrow-minded when you say that Jesus is the only way. Trust me, Jesus is the only way back to God because nobody else qualifies. Nobody else can fulfill what, he just, what we just read there. You are worthy to take the book because you shed your blood for every kindred tongue, people, and nation and to present it back to the Father. So he qualifies. Now, go to the book of Genesis with me uh, in chapter 4. We're talking about two systems in, in the world today, two religious systems. Number one, God's divine accomplishments. Number two, man's human achievements. This goes back to the garden and back to the book of Genesis and back to Cain and Abel. You remember those two characters? Cain and Abel? All right, let's read this in verses 3 through 5. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat. Hear that. And of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. 
And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. We see two systems being unveiled here. The divine and the human. Abel stands for the divine. Cain stands for the human. Now, if you go to Hebrews chapter uh, 11, let's pull that up. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. Now, stop right there just for a moment. By faith. Now, I heard a, a wonderful preacher that I, I really appreciate him, but I heard him say it was the only reason why God accepted Abel's was because he had offered it in faith. And if Cain would have offered his produce in faith, God would have accepted that. I, I stop right there. I reject that. That's not true. I'm going to show you why. Leviticus 3, verse 16. You ready for it? The priest shall burn them upon the altar. It is the food of the offering made by fire for a sweet savor. All the fat is the Lord's. Did you hear that? How did Abel know to bring the fat? Who taught him that? You think Cain wasn't taught the same thing? You see, from the very beginning, what we discover is this. God is revealing to man in the Bible. The Bible is a book based on what? Redemption. In the Old Testament, it's redemption prepared. In the New Testament, it's redemption manifested in Jesus. In the book of Acts, it's redemption propagated by the apostles and so on. In the epistles, it's explained. In Revelation, it's consummated. It's all about redemption. And what do we learn from Cain and Abel? Number one, sin is an awful thing that brings destruction to everything in its path. Two, man has no way back to God. He cannot save himself. Three, only God can come up with a way for man to be reunited with God and if he doesn't come up with that way, then man is lost for an eternity. Cain and Abel. Abel comes, he brings a sacrificial lamb. He slaughters it. The blood is shed. It's innocent. He did nothing. But it's awesome, awful, it's gruesome that this life, this innocent life has to be lost. And that's what I'm sure that Adam and Eve taught their children. But you see, Cain comes along. Oh, before I even get to Cain, how was Abel's sacrifice accepted by the Lord. How did they know that it was accepted? Go back to the Old Testament. Whenever they offered up a, an offering like that, how was it accepted? Fire came down from heaven and consumed it. That's how Abel knew his was accepted. <clears throat> now let's go over to Cain. He brings his offering. He could bring it with all the faith he wants. It's not a blood offering. He didn't bring the fat thereof that belongs to the Lord. You know what he did? He brought his way. He could say, I did it my way. And what he's saying is, my way is better than your way, God. See, I want to make, I'm going to make you happy, but I'm going to do it my way. Look how hard I worked for you. I planted all this stuff. I got you the first fruit. I, I'm doing it in faith. Send your fire. Like the prophets of Baal waiting for the fire. To, there's nothing happening. Nothing falling. Why? Because it was rejected. Why was it rejected? Because he was doing it his way, not God's way. Abel brought the fat that belonged to God and God's. How does faith come? By hearing. Hearing by the word of God. 
How did Abel know what to do? How could he operate in faith if he didn't hear the word of God? What was the word of God? Bring the fat thereof, because that belongs to me, says the Lord. That's how he operated in faith. But it was a blood sacrifice. It was a blood offering that reveals to us, once again, these blessed truths, that sin is an awful thing. And you can't get back to God unless there's blood that's shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so, therefore, you need God to make a way. And what did, you, what did I just quote in Re Revelation chapter 5? You redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. You did it. Buddha didn't do it. Muhammad didn't do it. Confucius didn't do it. Krishna didn't do it. You could name anyone you want to name. There is none other. There will be no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but the one wonderful name of Jesus. Cain's offering was rejected. Why? Because his was one of human achievement, not divine accomplishment. God's way is the way of salvation. And Jesus says, I am that way, the only way. No one comes to the Father but by me. Matter of fact, we'll close with these verses here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He spoke of two ways. <clears throat> Jesus did. When he was here on earth, he spoke of two ways. Enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. So the broad way is spacious. The broad way is popular. The broad way is also destructive. It's wide. It goes with the flow of the world. It's popular. Everybody wants it. Just think about what's going on in our society today. I want to live the way I want to live. I want to do what I want to do. I want to behave the way I want to behave. How many of you know that our government does not have the right to overthrow the word of God and ignore it and redefine, for example, just like something like marriage? doesn't have the right to do that. Do you think it does? No. Who, who created man? Who has the right to govern man? And if he says this is how it is, then it's how it is. We're doing it his way. I'm not saying it. God is saying it. So God is saying, look, I have the right. I reserve the right to govern your life. You don't have to do it my way if you don't want to. But you know what? This way, although popular. I remember when Dante was in school and playing football in school. And I used to think, why was it that seemed like as though a lot of his friends kind of just ignored him? And when it got to a place, you know why? He didn't smoke, he didn't drink, he didn't do drugs, he didn't have sex. That's why. You see, he wasn't on the Broadway, he wasn't living the Broadway, he wasn't living his life that way. As far as he was concerned, that wasn't God's way, so he's not doing it his way, that way, because that's not God's way. But all of a sudden, it's unpopular to do it God's way. See, when Jesus said, narrow is the, is the gate and the way. Narrow. In other words, it's a narrow way of thinking. Some people say you have a narrow way of thinking. Well, listen, Jesus said it's a narrow way. It's God's way. That's not being narrow-minded. That's being God-minded. And God says this is how you do it. God's way, not man's way. Okay, so it's the broad is the way. But what does it lead to? Ruin, destruction, and all that. But what is God's way? It leads to life. Real quick, look at 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and it says this. Do you see, this narrow way is hard to find. It took me a while to find it. I also rejected it at the beginning. But look at this. In whom the God of this world has 
blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The devil is blinding people's minds. There was a time I didn't think I needed it. I've talked to people, they say, what do I need to be saved from? What do you mean? You have to be saved from yourself, from sin. We all have to be saved. We all need a Savior or Christ wouldn't have had to come. We have to do it God's way. And God's way is hard to find because the devil's blinding people's minds, making them think that they're okay. But listen, religion sends more people to hell than anything else in the world. How many religions are there out there in the world? Thousands of them. Jesus said, I'm the only way. I'm the only way. Only he has the credentials and the qualifications to make a way for us to get back to God. Okay, look at the next verse. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9. In chapter 9, and a couple of verses here and a couple more. When everything, this is the Old Testament practice of religion. When everything in the tent was made ready in this way, notice this way. The priest went into the first room every day to worship, but only the high priest could go in the second room, and he did it only once a year. He could never enter the inner room without taking blood with him, which he offered to God for himself and for the sins of the, pe sin the people did, without knowing they did them. The Holy Spirit uses this to show that. To show what? The way, notice the way into the most holy place was not open while the system of the holy tent was still being used. As long as that system was still in play, as long as there were temple sacrifices and animal sacrifices and the priests doing their duties and all that, and the high priest could go in once a year, as long as that was in play, that system was in play, it shows that there's no way to get to the holiest place of all. In the most holy place, you see, while well, that system was in play. But look at the other verses in chapter uh, 10, verse 19 through 22. So let's say it again. The way under the old covenant, the way of all the practices of, of Judaism, which is why for 2,000 years there was no temple, there's no sacrifice, no animal sacrifices, no blood being shed, no high priest going to the Holy of Holies, no day of atonement that was fulfilled like it was before all this. Why? Because this is why. So, brothers and sisters, we are completely free to enter the most holy place without fear because of the blood of Jesus' death. We can enter through a new and living way. The waymaker has made a way for us to enter into the most holy place where only the high priest could go in once a year. This new living way that Jesus opened for us, it leads to the curtain, Christ's body. And since we have a great high priest over God's house, let us come near to God with a sincere heart and sure faith because we have been made free from a guilty conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Why? Because of the new and living way. It was the way that Christ paid for us through his blood. So the way to the holiest places of all is narrow and it's paved with the blood of Jesus. Can you say amen? Paved with the blood of Jesus. So back then, if you walked near that place, remember when I said that part of the waters of the, of the Jordan River, you had to be 3,000 steps away from the Ark of the Covenant, or you die. Well, guess what? The way's been made for you and for me to walk to the holiest place of all and have fellowship with our Creator. Because the way maker made a way. His name is Jesus. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but by me. Let's all stand together before the Lord.